If you are a child or you uh, identify as a child under sixth grade, we invite you to join uh, Rochelle, who is actually Pastor Rochelle because she's got a local license, and a couple of our team members who are going to be heading over across the way, and they're going to do a kids' lesson together. They're going to do a, a game, and then they'll probably jump on the bounce houses once more. So again, if you're a child, um, if you're a child under the age of sixth grade, feel free to join uh, Pastor Rochelle and our team that's heading over there uh, now to go have fun and uh, and learn a little bit from her. Uh, um, today, we are re reading from the book of Luke. So if you want to turn or tap with me to Luke chapter 15, at verse 1 is where we're going to begin. Before I get into scripture, before I go into my message at all, I do want to just stop, pause, and just say thank you. Um, Rochelle, because you're still in the room, you're first. Thank you. I want to say thanks to my wife for putting up with me uh, during these last couple years of planting. Um, I could not have uh, done this without her. Uh, the, when I left Tempe in December of 2021, I went into a season of unemployment for three months. And thank the Lord for Rochelle, because she kept us through that. Uh, and then I started a brand new job, and it's been crazy to work full-time uh, at the Gilbert Police Department and do this with Pastor Ryan. So thank you to Rochelle. I know she's left now. Second, uh, Ryan, I don't know where you're at in here. Pastor Ryan, um, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Pastor Ryan is my co-pastor, if you didn't know that. Him and I have uh, been dreaming and planning about this since August of 2019. Pre-COVID, we thought about going online, going small, going in the homes, and look what COVID made us do anyways, right? So God's been working on us. There you are, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. I want to say thank you to our core team. We have some of our core team members here today. Thank you, core team. We could not have done this without you. I'm so thankful for you and your sacrifice. I want to thank you to our lead team, the, the kind of our church board. They're not really the board yet because we're not an official church yet. Maybe next year. I don't know. Are you going to launch us uh, officially, take, take on our own insurance and stuff? I don't know. Uh, but thank you to our lead team for dreaming and planning and working uh, with us through this whole thing. Uh, and then I want to say special thanks to Pastor Doug and Becky. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for investing in us, uh, taking the risk. And I know that my, when we were talking about this, I was like, maybe we're going to fail nine times out of ten. And thinking back on that now, it wasn't a great pitch. Um, <laughs> but thank you. And thank you to Jeff. Jeff Phyllis is here. He's our pastor over at Turning Leaf Church. He's our, been our mentor through this all. He planted a, a church a while ago, 10 12 years ago now, 15's been a minute. They just launched into their brand new building. Thank you for believing, supporting us. And there's probably so many more people, my parents, my in-laws who have loved and supported me and so many more people. I can say thank you forever, but I won't do that. But I thought it, it's important that we say thanks. And so, like I said, we're gonna go to Luke chapter 15, starting at verse one. And talked about this as the lost one. And this is a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. We're currently in this series, like you see on the screen, the parables of Jesus. And Pastor Alicia and Ryan have started us in this journey of, of breaking open Jesus' stories that he told. And we're showing how they apply to us today in 2022. But before I tell the story that Jesus says, I, I want to I maybe get your minds into a place with another story. I, I, like I said, I work for the Gilbert Police Department, and I'm a dispatcher, so I take 911 calls. And one day I received a phone call from a desperate mother. I've lost my child. She was panicked. She was terrified. They're at this huge park. This park is multi-leveled with play equipment. It's got a, it's got a little a splash pad, some gazebos. It's got a lake. It's got a ton of grass and a, and a large amphitheater. This, this park is massive. And she's calling me in a frantic worry. I've lost my son. I don't know where he is. He's gone. 
And so I talk her through, okay, I need you to tell me what's his name. How old is he? What does he look like? What's his hair color? What is he wearing? What shoes is he wearing? The reason we ask what shoes you're wearing is because if a kid is typically kidnapped, the kidnapper can't replace his shoes. So we get all this detail, and she says, he was with another child. I have the grandpa right next to me, so I'm like, put him on the phone. Grandpa's a whole lot more calm than mom. He's like, my granddaughter's missing, and I do the same thing. What's her name? What does she look like? What was she wearing? And he was so calm. I, I, tur- I, I spoke to him, and I said, I know that this is a scary thing to go through, but I really need you to go to the lake, because the lake is where kids like to go, because there's ducks, and there's fish, and it's blue. And it's really scary when you have a three-year-old who can't swim. And the, the grandpa immediately knew what I was talking about. It's possible that my grandchild has gone to this water and gone into it, and they don't know how to swim. And so he hustled up the hill. And I just remember the panic beginning to settle into his voice. I could hear, continue to hear the mother crying in the background. My units were driving probably 65 miles an hour down Queen Creek Road. And they're getting there, and they say, where are we meeting and where are we going? They get to the top of the hill and at the swings. Their grandpa goes, I found him. Can you imagine the relief in his voice? So he passes the phone back to mom, and she says, thank you. Thank you for keeping me calm. Thank you for getting me answers. And I just remember the joy that I had. I just got to help for, for a minute. I disconnected, and I went to the next person who had the next emergency. And it's interesting, because in this world, in this life, you have a job, and you have bills, and you have the mortgage, you have maybe sickness, you've got family drama, you've got work life, you've got all these things that you have to do that every single day we do. We wake up, we go to the grind, we invest our time, I've got to think about this, I've got to think about that, I've got to do, I've got to think about the vacation that's coming up in December, but it's only August, and how am I going to buy the Christmas presents? We've all been there, right? We start to think about all the things months, years in advance, and in this moment, none of it matters. They left everything behind. The mortgage didn't matter anymore. Going to work the next day didn't matter anymore. Not even her other children who were safe at the park mattered anymore because it mattered finding her child. So let's turn to Luke 15 now and read what Jesus has to say about this. This is the parable of the lost sheep, and I've kind of just retitled this as the lost one. And maybe as we're reading about sheep here, you put your own name into the into this description. Let's just read through it together. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And I like that. Notorious sinners. I'm just going to put my name right in there. This made the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The table. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others into the wilderness to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 5. And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who who has repented And returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It's interesting here. I look just directly at verse 1 and 2. Jesus is actively meeting with tax collectors and sinners. These people who in the time were not to be associated with. 
In fact, we see this so often in Jesus' ministry. He, shows, he associates with, with women who were not supposed to be associated with men. He associates with sinners, those who were dirty and unclean and broken. He associates with the tax collectors, those who were literally robbing the people of their money, rather than the people in the church, rather than the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had it together, who knew the law, who practiced the religion. And the Pharisees, verse 2, it says, were unhappy that he associated and ate with them. I just want to, you know, preface this here. I'm pretty sure Jesus would eat with all of us, right? In fact, that's part of the reason that we've named ourselves the table. It's got many connotations from the table of the Eucharist to the literal dinner table that we share to this hypothetical table that you are all invited to today. Jesus is at the table and you are invited And it made the religious leaders mad. So then Jesus tells this story about the 99. We jump to verse 4, and it talks about how Jesus, Jesus talks about how the the shepherd here leaves his 99 into the wilderness. And as I prepared and and read through some commentaries and other historical um, literacies on this, it talked about how though Jesus was leaving his 99, it it was assumed that they were probably safe. They were there in the wilderness, but potentially had some sheepdogs, maybe some younger shepherds. But together, the 99 were in this place that they knew that, that the shepherd, the good shepherd, knew that if he left, he'd come back and they'd be there. And he went and he pursued them. And I think that Jesus is trying to talk to us about this in a way that maybe we need to shift our thinking. Because when we look at the good shepherd, it's, an, it's, a, it's a thing for Jesus, right? Jesus is our good shepherd. And one of the things that we need to know and understand is that when you are the one, when you are the lost one, when you are wandering, when you are in sin, when you are gone, Jesus is not sitting there in the back on his rocking chair with his little staff waiting for you. He's not back home relaxing, eating his pulled pork sandwiches and a Coke, waiting for the doorbell to ring. Jesus is actively going out and searching for you. Just like the shepherd here, he leaves the 99 who are safe and are good and don't need repentance. And he goes and he searches for the lost one. And so Jesus is actively going. Jesus is actively searching for you. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but that's really important that we know that Jesus is actively following us. Let's continue. I want to reference Psalm 23. Everybody know where that comes from. Maybe, maybe you're new to church or you don't know where Psalm 23 is. It's kind of the Lord's Prayer. We talked about that we shall not want. We lay down in green pastures, right? There's a myth that culture, that church has kind of begun to tell. And it's actually something, and I bring this up because it is something that I was told in my late, late high school years, early college years. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. My soul. His rod and his staff, they comfort me, right? Talking about this good shepherd. Now this myth that I'm talking to is not about Psalm 23. That's, that's scripture. But this myth that I was told is that a good shepherd would have a rod and staff. And that a good shepherd would break your legs if you wandered off. A good shepherd, when he went and found that, that one sheep that wandered off, he'd whack it real hard and pick it up and carry it back. Then he'd nurture it. And he'd love it, and he'd bring it back to health, and he'd say, don't you wander off again, because I love you. I just want to tell you today, if you've been told that, 
if that theology is in your mind, if you have this anxiety about having to show up every single Sunday, about having to be correct, about having to never ever sin again, I want to free you from that today. The good shepherd is not going to break your legs. There's no historical context here. There's no biblical basis here. We read in Psalm 23 about the, the staff, the rod and the staff, they comfort us. When we think about the shepherd who has the staff, right? We can, can we visualize it with me? It's this wooden rod that goes up and kind of curls. Uh, we've seen it a lot in like animation when like the character in Looney Tunes is going on too long and they like pull him out and like, okay, get off the stage. You've gone too long, right? Maybe we have the joking thought. The staff there is meant for direction. The shepherd would have it and he would gently push the sheep into the direction that they needed to go to keep them out of the ravine, or if they're, if they're in too far, he can reach far with it and pull them into him, pull them into the flock, keep them close. And then the butt end is meant for attack, for damage, but not for the sheep, but for the wolves, for the bobcats, the bears, the attackers who would come into the, 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 the flock. He would, he would ward them off with his staff. And so the rod and the staff, it comforts us because it keeps us into line and it pulls us close to him and it defends us from the attacks. And then we can look here in Luke and it talks about what exactly the good shepherd will do. Turn with me again to verse 5. It says this, And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Where do we see? We don't see at all that the shepherd will, will break the legs of the sheep, that, that the shepherd will, will make it hurt, that it will punish it for its wrongdoings. No, the shepherd actively goes after it and follows it and tries to find it, and once he does, he grabs it and places it on its shoulder, and he carries it back. Now, sheep weren't light. They're not these 12-pound little cute things. Adult, full-grown sheep can be up to 70 pounds. Why would you want to break the legs of a sheep who is 70 pounds that continue to wander through a pasture? And so Jesus here, he talks about this good shepherd that when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. And then what does he do? He goes home and he says, friends, neighbors, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. I found the one who's been missing. And Jesus does that with us today. When Jesus is seeking for you, when, he's, when you are not in within the 99, when you are out and living your own life and sinning and in this I, me, and what I want, Jesus isn't waiting there, twiddling his thumbs, saying, one day they're going to come back for me. One day they'll turn around. Jesus stands at our door and knocks. I'm here. I'm following you. Turn to me. And he asks us to, to, to do one thing here in verse 6 and 7. Starting at 6, he says, oh, sorry, verse 7, it says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents and turns to God over the 99 who are righteous in heaven and don't stray away. What I don't want you to hear tonight is that if you're here and you're a good Christian and you read your Bible and you go to Bible study and you go to church, that Jesus doesn't love you. That's not true. He absolutely loves you. And he is absolutely ecstatic that you are here because you were once the lost one. You were once the child who was lost at the park. Who Jesus was like, I'm going to do anything for this child. To find them, to bring them home into safety. And we look at 
later in Jesus' life and ministry as he dies on the cross for you and for me. Jesus is seeking after us. And he goes forth and he says, I want you so badly to come home, my child. I want you so badly to return to the flock where we can rejoice together. I just ask you to, what does verse 7 here say? Repent. To turn away from your sins. To turn to me. To look Jesus in the face and become sanctified. It's a process. It's a journey. I'm not saying that if today you pray a prayer and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done, that tomorrow is just going to be perfect. That tomorrow is just going to be this great day. That everything in your life is going to be fixed. That your bills are going to be paid. That your debts will be paid off. That's not what's going to happen. The reality is tomorrow you're going to wake up and every single habit that you've ever established is going to be there. And every single hurt that you've already had is still going to be there. Now, I do believe that God is a God of miracles and can restore us all physically here on earth if he desires. I, I believe in his power and might to be able to do that. But what I've understood and known is that when I have wandered away and been the one, and when I finally get to the point where I repent to Christ, that I have habits that I have to break. Sins that have become habitual in my life that I have to actively say no to and turn to Christ and say, I choose you daily. I don't want to be the one lost one anymore. I want to be the 99 who don't need to repent more because I'm following you, Christ. And so I want to invite Jordan back up to, to play this song called New Wine. It's a moment before we take the Eucharist together. And I want to invite you into a time of repentance. And I say this as, as someone who is going to be humble before you, that I need repentance today. I'm not this perfect person because I'm Pastor Trevor who planted the table with Ryan. I'm not. I have sinned. And I need forgiveness and I need to repent. And so I invite you to join with me in that that you repent of your sins. And we have some pastors here within the audience and, and on our staff who are willing to come and to pray with you. I'm not going to lead you through a, a simple prayer here at your seat where you can hide because I think it's important that we step forward and we say that I am not a perfect person and I need the grace of God today. And so I invite you while Jordan plays to come and repent. To say, Lord Jesus, I am wrong. I've done wrong. I've sinned to be freed from that so that there is a celebration in heaven and here on earth that you are the lost one who has been found Jesus is actively seeking for you right now I don't know what you're going through I don't know where you've been Rochelle and I last year we went through two miscarriages and if I tell you right now that I was super faithful and super happy about everything that God was going through in my life in 2021 I would be lying to you I was mad at God God, why would you have us suffer through this after a pandemic and trying to find a job and, and now you're taking a child that we've desired for? Friends, I was angry. I was the lost one that was actively running away. I didn't just get lost on the trail. I was done for a minute because I was so mad that God would make it happen. And I realized it wasn't God making it happen. We live in a broken and fallen, sinful world. And within this broken, fallen, sinful world, there is death, there is destruction, there is decay, there is loss. 
in the midst of all of that, there is redemption. So friends, I, I want to invite you to be redeemed by Christ today. So I'm going to invite some pastors, if you guys want to come up here and just be available to pray, I'm just, I'm just going to kneel and pray, and I invite you to join me. Don't pray with me, I want you to pray repentance to Christ today. And then we'll make it a, a time for the Eucharist, okay? Okay.